Hey everyone, welcome to episode 84 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Casarapple, with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? Not much, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain, we're recording at my house, so <laughs> I didn't have to go anywhere to do this, so yeah, it's a little conven- bit of a change of pace. Convenient for me. We have some interesting stuff to talk about today. Um, number one, we're going to talk about the Modern Horizons special expansion announcement. Yeah. Kind of new, exciting, different, and, you know, that's always refreshing. Yeah. Like, completely different from anything we've ever seen, really. Yeah. Then we're just going to talk about the modern format in general, because we got regionals coming up this weekend, and try to hit up some legacy discussion, because... There was an open last weekend. There was an open last weekend. You did prep for it and stuff, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before we get into any of that, <clears throat> want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you so much for hanging out, for coming to our Discord, for chatting with us, for giving us some support. We really appreciate it. If you would like to become a patron, please feel free to head to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Really appreciate any support. Um, obviously, not necessary. Podcast will always be free. We love you for listening. So we will kick things off with the Keeper Mole. Yeah. Uh, let's do it. This one's a classic. This one is a classic, yeah. Yeah. But it's especially relevant right now because this is a dredge hand. Yes. And dredge is perhaps the best deck in the format right now. It's it's in the conversation. It's like yeah. enemy number one or two, at least, right, right now. Right, right. Um, I'd probably say number two. Yeah. Blue Red Phoenix has definitely been a huge force lately, but... Um, it's really, really kind of flown to the top of the heap, I would say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is a pretty classic dredge not certain kind of hand so yep. we've got a three lands wooded foothills gemstone mine blood crypt we've got a prized amalgam a blood ghast a faithless looting and a cathartic reunion so the basically good enablers no dredgers is is what this hand is yeah and we, we do already have a couple of the payoffs in blood ghast and prized amalgam but we yep. don't have access to any dredgers yet so the hand has Prize Amalgam and Blood Gas in hand and a Faithless Looting and two lands. Mm-hmm. So even in our worst case scenario, we're still able to put five power onto the board on yeah. turn two. <laughs> so I think that that makes this kind of a snap keep. But I do want to talk, I think this hand is interesting because I do want to talk about kind of the underlying concept behind this hand, which is I've got lands and looting effects, but no dredger. Mm-hmm. Do I keep and for me, I think that the default has pretty much always been, yes, keep these hands with dredge, especially if they have uh, faithless looting. Mm-hmm. The kind of the only scenario where I wouldn't keep a land faithless looting hand with dredge would be if I don't have any dredgers and I also don't have a second land. Mm-hmm. For me, and with dredge, it feels like the lands two and land two specifically, because you can always hit land three with a. Um, a life from the loam. A life from the loam. Yeah. Land two is one of the more important elements of the dredge deck. Mm-hmm. Um, people often f- think that they can just keep, you know, one land of faithless looting, put their dredger in the yard, turn one, and just dredge from there on out. Those hands are not 
good enough in my mind mm -hmm. for especially for a seven. You just shouldn't keep those. Yep. The thing that they're doing is just not at the power level of the deck that you will be playing against doing this thing. If <laughs> yeah. you're dredging once a turn. Right. Yeah, slow dredge in modern, not strong enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so that said, we're, we're missing the, the dredger with this hand, but we're not missing the lands. And we even have another cathartic reunion in our hand right. to, you know, once we hit the dredger, even if it takes us like two, three turns maybe, mm -hmm. uh, once we get there, then we can really gas up with the cathartic reunion. And how Having the third land is actually just really awesome. Like, mm -hmm. the third land in Dredge is, yes, you can hit it with the Life from the Loam. Yeah. But it's really nice. Like, we've got our turns mapped out with this. We're Faithless right. Looting on one, we're Cathartic Reunioning on two, and we're Flashing Back Faithless Looting on three. And right. And that's very, like, especially since we've got our first Dredge kind of taken care of. If your first yeah. Dredge hits Prized Amalgam and Bloodgast, you're like, great, first you're so Dredge. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, so if this hand had you know, just a nonsense piece, like a, a creeping chill or something instead of this blood gas. How much does that, that, I mean, this hand having all the lands, the faithless looting and the cathartic union. Yeah. Like that still feels like a pretty clear keep to me. Yeah, it does. And you do run into the risk of breaking off and dying. Mm -hmm. But I think that the, you know, the potential power level is so strong with this hand that, yeah. um, that it's, it's worth keeping despite that risk. Right. Like to me, dredge is, a kind of combo deck based on three components, mm -hmm. which is enable like the red draw card enablers in yep. your hand. Yep. Dredgers in the graveyard. Yep. And lands in play. Yeah. And don't forget about the lands, because they're important. <laughs> right. They they are. And it, it's yeah. one of the things that you just don't quite realize. Like you you start learning the sequencing and just how important that is the more you play. Mm -hmm. But like this hand has two of the three parts of our combo. It's got right. the red enablers, it's got the lands in play. And yeah. We, the, the red enablers let us search for the dredgers in the graveyard, so. Yeah, so for any for anybody picking up dredge, um, you know, as long as your Faithless Looting Hand has multiple lands in it, it's mm -hmm. kind of hard to ship those. Yeah. I I ran a couple of leagues with dredge, was really frustrated because I did very badly, and it felt like there wasn't very much I could do. Um, and I'm, I'm mulliganed a fair amount, had a lot of those, like, five cards, and one of the cards is an Archamoeba kind of hands. Yep. But then I, I went back and I watched some of my matches and I realized that I was losing a lot of games because I was not drawing Faithless Looting specifically. Yeah. And like there were just so many spots where just like a Faithless Looting would have changed the entire game. Mm -hmm. So there's a big conversation to be had about the card <laughs> Faithless Looting probably. Well, yeah, I mean, and Dredge probably is the deck that abuses it the most. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I mean, the fact that, especially with, you know, this hand that we're talking about where we don't have any dredgers, and even if we didn't have the Prize Malcolm Blood Gas in our hand, mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you can flash it back again on turn three, yeah, you know, turn three is pretty, still pretty early, you know, I mean, we are talking about modern, but it's, you know, turn three is pretty early on in a game of magic. Yep. And, uh, you know, by that time you've looked at... You know, two additional cards from the Faithless Looting, three additional cards from the Cathartic Reunion, you know, and then you're casting Faithless Looting again. It's just, you know, you're right. so likely to be able to get there. So. Definitely. So we're going to talk about the modern format in a bit and probably a fair amount about Dredge itself. Yes. Um, but we got a big announcement. We got a set called Modern Horizons coming out. Uh, and so this is going to release sometime in June. So it's going to be after... Mythic Championship London, I guess 2019 MC2 is what it is, technically. <laughs> right. Um, but so this is a weird one. This is not a standard legal set. 
but it is the size of a standard legal set. So it's 249 cards. All of them go straight to modern. Some amount of them will be reprints of like legacy legal cards that are now going to get introduced to modern and the rest are just going to be brand new cards. This is different. We've never seen anything like this. We've yeah, so set that's printed specifically for modern, right? Going to be reintroduced or introducing for the first time some older cards into modern mm-hmm. specifically. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that they've done anything like that for modern ever. So no, I mean, this will be interesting. The only you know we've had cards skip standard and go straight into a format before, but they go yep. straight into legacy. You right. know, the commander cards and stuff. Yep. And a lot of those cards have been not. Good for legacy. We can talk about legacy a lot. True Name Nemesis is just not a good, right? Not a well-designed magic card for one-on-one magic. Yeah. True Name Nemesis likely an accident, yeah, because it just wasn't designed for one-on-one play. Mm-hmm. Other sets that they've you know designed and and printed that have gone straight into legacy, they have you know made cards specifically for the legacy format right. before. Um, and I'd imagine, you know, it it's pretty clear that their intention is to do the same for modern. I think that this set is going to have very large implications for the modern format because I think that's just all of what this set is designed to be. I think that they are really looking to push some things into the format, shake it up a lot. Um, And I'm excited to see what they decide in Legacy is, you know, worthy of including in modern. Yeah, I mean, and we can, you know, everybody's got their speculations. Everybody's got their, like, babies that they want to come from legacy legality into modern legality. Um, I saw Becky Adelman tweeting about Nature's Lore, which is a one in a green sorcery social library for a force card, put it into play untapped. Right. Um, quite quite a card for a Valakite type strategy. Yep. Um, but there's there's lots of neat cards like that that we've you know kind of been thinking would be cool in modern. Careful Study is one that could really. Really make these graveyard decks start ticking. Oh, boy. <laughs> Careful study. Yeah, I think that uh, everybody's, like, immediate instincts on, like, what they expect to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, people are talking about, like, force of will, exploration, you know, all these crazy <laughs> cards that are just, like, not going to be okay for modern. I'd be surprised if any of those cards make their way in. But, you know, I, I I suspect that there, you know, there are going to be some cards that we see that are going to be like, oh, okay, this is going to make a pretty huge impact. Yeah. So. Well, let me let me cut some of these discussions short. We're not getting Exploration. Okay. We're not getting Swords to Plowshares. Yeah. We are not getting Mother of Runes. Yeah. We are not getting Force of Will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so just, just to, like, let everybody know what's going on. Yeah. A couple of weird things about this set. Uh. So it looks like it's going to be kind of premium priced. It looks like the pricing is very similar to a master's set. The, you know, we don't get MSRPs anymore because that's a thing that they've decided. Yeah. Uh, but the Magic Online packs are going to cost $6.99 a piece. Yeah. And the the price for a box that a store, you know, we've heard that stores are getting the boxes wholesale at like 170 something dollars which means that the boxes are going to cost at least 200 ish 215 from a store yeah which is a significant premium over a standard legal set yeah um i'm a little concerned because there are going to be new cards in the set Mm -hmm. and if there is a you know a mythic that becomes a modern staple out of this set how expensive is that mythic you know if arc light phoenix got printed in this set with seven dollar packs or whatever yikes yikes right Right. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, you know, if if a card ends up having a huge impact and is only accessible through this one product, that could, you know, we could be talking about they're about to print the next Tarmogoyf or mm-hmm. whatever, where it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, everybody needs this card and it's a hundred dollars. You know, <laughs> that is a you know that is a reasonable concern, and I don't know how m- much consideration they put into something like that. The that price tag on the packs feels in a way like they are taking advantage of the fact that modern is a pricey format. Yeah. And they're just kind of doubling down on that and modern is going to continue being a pricey format. And it's a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um you know they're not doing any reprints in this set, so we're not getting our additional injection of fetch lands, especially like $75 Scalding Tarns. Yeah. Um we're not getting Mox Opal, we're not getting any any of these modern legal cards that keep creeping up because modern gets more and more popular and they don't get reprinted i think this set can only make the problem of modern pricing worse because of the the lack of reprints and that's a little bit scary to me from an accessibility standpoint yeah i mean you know for sure and i think that those are valid concerns and but (laughs) the problem is that our hands are a little tied in this aspect it's just like there's like a way that things work that is going to dictate how these things go yep and there's not really much we can do about it other than be like oh boy yeah (laughs) you know so i mean i just would feel a lot better if either there were reprints of Mm -hmm. high price tag modern cards in there yeah so sort of like even the costs out among a number of valuable cards. Yeah. So, or if they don't do that, then make it the price of normal booster packs. Right. Because um, this way, you know, if there were fetch lands in rare slots and Mox Opal in a mythic slot and stuff like that, then the the price of the whole set becomes spread out over all of those cards and the new interesting modern staples. Now, you know, even in a set design for modern, how many of these cards are actually going to be modern playable? Yeah. And they're going to absorb the entire cost of this six ninety nine yeah. per pack set. Worst case scenario being that there's only like, you know, two to three yeah. cards in here that are people really want a lot of copies of, and that means that you know, like those two to three cards are going to have a huge price value. But then everything else in the set is worth nothing. Yeah. And from like somebody who wants to go and open packs. That's like the worst case scenario for them because they're like, man, I really hope I spike one of these three cards. Yes. But then all of the rest of the packs that you open are just the, worth nothing. The Magic Origins, uh, Jace Vrin's Prodigy Lottery. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that's con- that's definitely a concern. But I, I would imagine that Wizards thought that out. And mm-hmm. I think that that might mean that there are going to be a high quantity of cards that are going to see a lot of play. And if that's true, then that means that there's going to be a big shakeup in modern from this. Right. And that that leads really right. naturally into the next thing we need to talk about, which is yeah. just how how could they do that? What kinds of cards are likely to be in the set? So they've said that they want to bolster some of the lower tier strategies. Um, and for a lot of the magic community, that means, oh, great, we're getting answer cards. Uh-huh. And that's a little bit, I think that the thought that goes into that is a little bit unfinished. Mm-hmm. We're at a point in modern that the power level of these decks is incredibly high. Yeah. The the consistency of decks like Phoenix and Dredge is just like through the roof. Thanks a lot 
to Faithless Looting. And just the things that these decks are pulling off is, is really, really powerful. The thing is, we already have really good answers yeah. to a lot of this stuff. Surgical Extraction is great against Phoenix. Rest in Peace is great against Dredge. And we have a format that's powerful, powerful threats and powerful, powerful answers. Mm-hmm. I think the the thing that people want is more generically powerful answers. Things that are not straight up knock you out haymakers like Rest in Peace or Surgical Extraction or Stony Silence. But that can answer a variety of things efficiently. And I have a hard time seeing what those are if they are not actual force of will in days. Yeah. Well, and kind of the other thing that I would imagine could happen here would be that they're kind of like really taking a look at the tier lists of modern. Mm-hmm. And modern tier lists has been kind of been like a hot Twitter topic lately. So right, right. <laughs> it kind of works out. Timely. But, but and looking at like the tier two decks and the tier three decks and you know, and maybe instead of printing a bunch of answer cards generally in the format, they could be looking at those tier two decks and tier three decks and being like, okay, let's print another piece that mm-hmm. just really fits well in this archetype that adds to its proactivity. Right. And if you add to the proactivity of those tier two and three decks, then you could really just be pushing the whole thing into, you know, a more balanced format through the proactivity instead of through the, I have the answer to your thing. Right. And I, I think that you're probably right. We do end up with a more balanced format where there are more decks that you can... Like, there's 40 decks you could take to a modern tournament. There's not as many decks that you could take and say, I'm seriously trying to win this modern tournament. Right. But I'm not sure that that goal is going to be what would quote-unquote fix modern. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the big problems with modern is just this tide of hyperlinear decks bashing into each other trying to do my thing faster than you do your thing <laughs> right and if we say all right we're gonna print some stuff we're gonna make valakut a little bit better right and we're gonna make vengevine a little bit better <laughs> yeah then all, all we have now is we just have three more decks that are race cars that are trying to get their thing done faster than you're trying mm-hmm. to get your thing done yeah. does that make the format better maybe yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what they want for modern. But I see what you're saying in that, you know, we really have to think about what makes magic good. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, is it the interactivity? Is it the, you know, the ability to, like, really sit down and play real interesting games? Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, a bunch of race cars, you know, are probably very fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, not really you know fixing it in the way that just like makes the games interesting and interactive so yeah yeah, i I definitely see your point there for sure and that's that's exactly a thing that i i thought about leading and wanted to mention on this episode Mm -hmm. is that uh watching the modern metagame evolve is fascinating yeah watching the card choices watching surgical extractions get played main deck over gut shots watching valakut play flame slash instead of lightning bolt yeah yeah this stuff is all fascinating Mm mm-hmm uh, the games themselves, I just don't find particularly <laughs> yeah. fun. I mean, we were talking earlier about how uh, you can just, like, run through a modern league in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> That's five <laughs> matches of magic in an hour. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, the fact that, like, an ensnaring bridge deck is definitely on my tier list of my, you know, my top five tiers. What, however we're calling these lists but yeah. it's definitely like within my top five decks in modern right yeah, now absolutely like that's not great mm-hmm. right we don't we don't really want that card around right. that's not very fun 
And so, yeah, I like to be quite like, I, I really like watching what people are doing with these decks. I really don't love the actual time I've spent in game. Mm. I don't know what are the like answer cards they could print to slow the format down. I don't want force of will and that level of answer card in modern because legacy can be fun. I, I don't hate legacy, but you do end up in a format where really the premier threats are like these very dorky one mana creatures, you know, like Delver of Secrets and Gurmag Angler just get the job done better than a lot of stuff does. Yep. Because these answer cards mean that everybody's working off of so few resources that you just need to spend the right. least mana possible as early as possible. Yeah. On a simple thing that gets the job done. You just want your one card combo. Yeah. It's Gurmag Angler. Because we, <laughs> yeah. we only have one card after we trade all of our stuff for each other. Right, right, right. Like, that was the problem with Mental Misstep. Like, yeah. the, the, the game isn't better because each player starts on five cards. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's definitely fair, for sure. And this may be too doom and gloom. I feel like there is not a way to salvage modern at this point without upending things with just a huge slew of bans. Because we ban Faithless Looting, Mox Opal decks are just going to run over everything. Yeah. We ban Mox Opal and, like, Amulet decks are going to run over everything. Like, there's just so many threats waiting in the wings. We ban Amulet and devoted, turbo-devoted Druid decks are going to crush it. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's so yeah. many threats waiting in the wings because the format is so gigantic. Right. I, I, I just think we may be in a format that's too big and it's collapsing in on itself. Yeah. Yeah, and that is kind of sad. But it's also kind of why I would imagine that, you know, the format might turn into something that embraces this race car mm -hmm. um, dynamic. And, you know, maybe even they've figured out a way to turn that race car dynamic into something better and more interactive mm -hmm. like i don't know you know maybe we're just not thinking outside of the box enough <laughs> right and, and certainly uh, so. these guys are michael majors and andrew brown and and melissa de Tora and like they're certainly much better at this sort of thing than we are so <laughs> right so gotta gotta have some hope there yeah for um sure. we do have a couple of spoilers of the cards that they are bringing us in this set yeah a uh, few sneak peeks yeah just two so we've got sarah the benevolent Yep. Which is two and two white for a legendary planeswalker with four loyalty. Her plus two is creatures you control with flying get plus one plus one until end of turn. Minus three, create a four four white angel creature token with flying and vigilance. And minus six, you get an emblem with if you control a creature, damage that would reduce your life total to less than one reduces it to one instead. So yep. a, a worship emblem. So this is kind of cool. It's a planeswalker that I think is clearly too strong for standard. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that this is kind of like the ideal mythic for a set like this, mm -hmm. where it's a mythic, but it's not a mythic that is going to be hugely sought after for modern. It's just not really going to be a right. super powerful modern. Like maybe some decks play it, like as a, like people play Gideon, uh, Ally mm -hmm. of Zendikar in modern, uh, and it, it can be good. And I think that this kind of fits into that category of like, you know, every once in a while a deck can play this, but it's not going to be like a super sought after card. Right. So I think that it works well for the Mythic slot. Yeah. And it's a um, high power, you know, it's a four mana card that I can yeah. see getting some play in modern. Yeah. And you can kind of evaluate it, you know, as like a four mana Sarah Angel is just really strong, mm -hmm. you know, so. Right. Not good <laughs> enough on its own, certainly. Right. But this is at its base and then it leaves behind right. a Planeswalker that does a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, makes your Birds of Paradise able to attack, I guess. 
Yeah, for sure. But but she's also got the alternate mode of worship with suspend. Yeah. And for matchups where that matters, you know, if I'm playing against Burn and I play her and plus, they have to either kill her or probably just lose. Yeah. And that means that they spend a bunch of resources killing my four mana planeswalker, in which case I, you know. Oh. Feel very happy about Great. that. Yeah. I've always considered three mana Gideon to be just one of the best cards ever against Burn. Right. Because <laughs> you, <laughs> you just like play it and then you like maybe plus the first turn or you just immediately like make your emblem and the Burn player goes, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and this this kind of feels similar where it's just like a must answer. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and since it's more flexible than worship itself, you know, worship does one thing. Yeah. And that's not really acceptable in modern sideboards. And so, you know, I, I can see this more as a sideboard card in a creature deck. Yeah, that's what I'd imagine. And I honestly don't really expect it to have a huge impact in modern at all. But that makes yeah. me pretty happy that it's at mythic level. You right. Because I don't want our mythics to be the cards that are like, oh boy, gotta get a million of these or right, whatever, right. you know. And if all your creatures are flying anyways... Like spirits, perhaps. Oh yeah. Her, okay. her plus one, her plus two is actually pretty decent. Yeah. Next, we got one that seems uh, clearly more intended to see significant, especially main deck play. Yeah. Uh, this is Cabal Therapist, uh, a throwback call out to Cabal Therapy. So yep. I appreciate that. One black for a one one menace. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you may sacrifice a creature. When you do, choose a non-land card name, then target player reveals their hand and discards all cards with that name. So, Cabal Therapy, on a stick, repeatable. It can sacrifice itself to its ability. Yeah. You're never going to be able to use its effect the turn that you play it. Right. Unless you flash it in on your... Upkeep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you could finagle vile. that some way. Like, vile is, sure. like, the only way. I, I have a hard time seeing this in any vile deck, but... Right. But we're going to enter into a whole brave new world once oh, the yeah. set is out, so... Um, for sure. But I do like this card a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it, it likely, to me, could represent either a new archetype that involves a lot of creatures mm-hmm. uh, that don't mind getting sacrificed, or it could act as a really strong sideboard option for a similar creature deck, uh, just against combo decks. Yeah. Having a couple of these guys in the sideboard of your Devoted Druid combo deck could be really, really strong, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're on, like, the Kitchen Finks kind of variety of uh, just, like, have incidental creatures out that you don't really care too much about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this seems like a really, you know, new, interesting design space and gives me a lot of hope for other cards that we're going to see in this set. Yeah. It has potential i so i think hand disruption is probably the the worst effect to put like effectively suspend on letting your opponent know i'm gonna thought seize you next turn is but think of the mind games yeah i mean think of the mind games right if we're talking about interactivity you know i want (laughs) to i want to be able to play a card and just like really look into the soul of my opponent (laughs) yes but also it's a thought seize that they can choose to trade their lightning bolt for oh yeah yeah of course um i'm not saying that the card is particularly strong or anything but i think you know it could have slots I, i think it could have slots and i mean the mana cost is right it's one mana yeah um i think the to me, the drawbacks of it, the slowness of it, the fact that they can see it coming, that makes it feel... When I duress my opponent, I'm doing a thing that turn. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, I'm duressing you so that I can resolve this spell. When I'm casting Cabal Therapist, I'm holding my breath until the next turn. And that's kind of the opposite of 
what I want from a, a discard spell. A discard spell allows me to exhale and do the <laughs> thing that I want to do. Right. Not, like, be nervous that it's going to succeed. Sure. Yeah, I can totally see that. But if you're exploiting it, if you're in, like, a tokens deck and you're just like, this will kill you if it stays in play, that's pretty decent on a one-mana creature. That's what I imagine this card is going to be for more often than not. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this card is ever really going to be a standalone Cabal Therapy substitute. I think that this card is going to be put in decks that creates a plan that is really about to strip your hand apart. Yeah. So, just, like, really excellent against control decks and 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 that kind of variety yep. so yep so that's cool it is cool and while we're talking about this set one thing i do want to mention briefly is that i am very excited for this limited format i think that wizards has done an excellent job recently of like external mm-hmm. like limited design yeah and i think that's something that you know we're always talking about like oh this is gonna be modern what are the you know what, what are the implications of it on modern mm-hmm. but Wizards has really knocked it out of the park lately on a lot of limited sets, uh, especially the ones that aren't designed for standard. Right, those masters um, limited formats usually have something very interesting going on. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty excited about that, mm-hmm. just in general. Yeah. So yeah, I I agree. I I definitely want to play this limited format. I know there's at least one GP that is this format sealed, but I think it's very far away. I assume. So <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, so I guess we should talk about Modern itself. Yep. So we had a Grand Prix this past weekend. Yep, um, GPLA. Yep, it was actually a great weekend for Magic coverage. I kept flipping between GPLA and uh, SCG Syracuse. Yep. So. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff going on, for sure. In- including, side note, the coverage of the top eight of the Popper MCQ. Oh, yeah, I did catch just a little couple of snippets of that. Yeah, so I mean, yep. it was LSV and Huey talking about Popper. Uh, I'm not like a big popper guy or anything but it was very fun to watch like this completely different competitive format yeah pretty high level play especially with those guys commentating was very nice yeah for sure yeah so gpla was this weekend we had a very faithless looting heavy sort of weekend we did indeed um two is it phoenix decks in the top eight i think like nine or ten is it or mono red phoenix decks in the top 32 clearly establishing itself as you know, the the premier deck in Modern. Yeah. Which, I, I have to say, I don't think it's surprising because I've known how powerful this deck is for a while, mm-hmm. but it's not as fast as some, you know, top Modern decks have been. It gets its bones by being incredibly consistent. Yeah. And, you know, you're just pretty much always able to present turn four or five lethal, I don't think that that's necessarily like a hugely toxic deck to have be the best deck in the format. I think maybe there is, it's a little, you know, the rep- the amount of representation for this one deck might be a little higher than you would want, but it's an attackable deck and, you know, burn is good against it. Dredge is pretty good against it. Like there's, there's ways to beat it and it's not putting a pressure on the format in a like super super toxic way i don't think um yeah i don't really think so either and i think that you do make a good point in that um it's very very consistent and it does have fast kills Mm -hmm. but every time i you know every time my opponent plays a blue red land and casts seer visions and i put them on phoenix i'm not like 
you know, I've never been like, oh man, I have no shot because right. oh, of course they're playing that deck and that's a bummer. <laughs> like I've never really had that reaction to playing against Phoenix. Yeah. I mean like, all right, let's, you know, I'm playing against Phoenix. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. You you're you're going to have several turns. Right. You, most of their play patterns are kind of telegraphed. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell if they're going to thing in the ICU because they have to play it the turn before. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, cards like Surgical Extraction are very good against the most powerful thing that they can do. Um, that said, this deck clearly ran the table this weekend. Yeah, it you know it won the event, mm-hmm. put another copy in top eight, um, and there were there's a good smattering of is it Phoenix lists and in, in all of the published deck lists. Yep. Um, still disagreements over those last couple of threat slots. Yeah, uh, the winning deck had a pair of Terramanders in it, mm-hmm. which makes me very happy because. <laughs> You know, called it. Right. But I do actually prefer the other top eight list. Which, Snapcaster Mage. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of Dylan Donegan technology. Yeah. This, the Snapcaster Mage is not a powerful threat in its own right. And I think it was not necessarily the right threat in earlier iterations of the deck. Yeah. But right now, when we are playing a decent number of Phoenix Mirrors and Dredge is the second best deck in the format and you want Surgical Extractions in your main deck, being able to flashback those Surgical Extractions when you need to is... Very nice. It's nice. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, Snapcaster Mage and Surgical Extraction have always gone very well together, so not really surprised. And it's just a generally very powerful card. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people... I think people kind of have leaned a little bit towards cards like Terramander mm-hmm. because, you know, it kind of fits the bill for your idea of what you want to be doing with this deck, right? It fits your bill of like, oh, you know, I'm low on a threat, so I should play another threat, and that should be just like a generally powerful threat or whatever. Yep. But Snapcaster Mage is just, you know, it can act as a threat, but also... It's just the power level of Snapcaster Mage is just so far beyond just like normal cards that you can put in this. Right. It's nice to put a good card in your deck. Yeah, you're just like putting extra great cards in your deck. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why I love it. It's just like, you know, the people who I think are playing Snapcaster Mage have just, you know, looked at their deck and been like, okay, yeah, this, I just need some extra oomph in terms of, you know, general power level, what's going on. And I think that Snapcaster fits the bill better than you know, other cards. Right. So. This is not a great Snapcaster Mage deck. The variety of spells is it's, very constricted. Yeah. It's either going to be Lightning Bolt or Serum Visions. Pretty much. Pretty much always. Yep. But I feel like, you know, an optional, like Lightning Bolt Serum Vision split card seems great. Yep. <laughs> it comes with a 2-1. And, and what I really like about the Snapcaster Mage is now that we are switching to Surgical Extractions, mm-hmm. we lose a little bit of percentage in the Noble Hierarch matchups. Yeah. And... You know, there aren't a lot of Noble Hierarch decks right now because this deck has scared them off a lot. Yeah. But you don't want to just give up percentage there, especially in a tournament like, you know, Regionals is this weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play against humans at Regionals. Oh, yeah. It, it will happen. <laughs> um, I, the, I'm really likely to play against Spirits. I want to still beat them. Turning your deck into having the Bolt Snap Bolt angle has always been very good against those decks. Yeah. And so you can make up some of that percentage you lose by turning gut shots into surgical extractions. Right. Yeah, no, and it's an excellent point because I've always been like, you know, from the human's perspective, I've always been like, oh, is it Phoenix? That's probably not a great matchup just because they have access to a bunch of lightning bolts. Um, and in my mind, I, I always kind of considered, is it Phoenix, a bolt snap bolt deck? Mm-hmm. But they just like weren't until right. now. But now they are. 
and and that's bad for humans. And that's a yikes for humans. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be playing against a bolt snap bolt deck. I mean, a, a bolt gut shot deck is almost as bad for humans. Mm-hmm. I don't think humans is completely out of the question now. Um, I think given the cutting of gut shots from Phoenix, I think that does weaken the matchup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, snaps, you know, come back and help it. But this is a two snapcaster mage deck, not a four snapcaster mage deck. Just the things that humans can do right now, I think you can line up pretty well against the top decks in the format. I think you can come back closer to even against Phoenix as long as you are completely prepared for thing in the ice. You know, you want your four reflector mages. You want a couple of dismembers in the sideboard. Um, you know, I, I know like Dillahan was talking about running Anafenzas just as like a threat that matches up well against an 0-4 and can possibly exile phoenixes and it's just like kind of hard to deal with with lightning bolt you know build your deck with this deck in mind and then you have access to really great stuff like oriac champion is just like a free win monster right now out of the sideboard it's pretty good in a lot of matchups right now for yeah. sure we, we've got dredging grix's shadow just like coming out <laughs> to play yeah uh card's good against those decks very good yep so yeah just a side note that i think humans is closer to okay than you would think right yeah. now Absolutely. Um, I'm not brave enough to play it this weekend, though. I might be. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a throwback. I haven't played humans in Ah, a minute. I mean, you know, you won regionals with humans once. You could do it True. (laughs) Yeah. It was much easier back then, I'll be honest. People didn't know. Day two of humans. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. It was day two of humans. (laughs) Other notes about Phoenix, because I've been playing a lot of Phoenix. Uh, Stop putting Is It Charm and Charter Course in your deck. One oh, of yeah. these top eight decks had Is It Charm, the other one had Charter Course. The reason they can't agree on it is because they're both wrong. <laughs> yeah. It just costs so much mana. Right. And and you it only like is effective. Like you can't spend the turn before your Phoenix turn just casting one of these. You're not gonna survive. But like you're gonna be so far behind. Yeah. And you it's really hard to do it on a combo turn. It's just such an awkward card. You just gotta trust in your deck to give you your faithless lootings. Because you're not doing a powerful thing. Like, the the Phoenix thing is not powerful without Faithless Looting. Right. So just just trust that your deck's going to work. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely fair. Blood Moon is now seeing play in these sideboards, so be aware that Phoenix is going to Blood Moon you game two and three. Yep. Um, I know Ben Friedman was advocating Molten Rains instead of Blood Moons. Not totally sure I can get behind that, because, like, one of the reasons Blood Moon is great is because it beats Amulet, or at least buys a lot of time against Amulet, and Molten Rain is, like... Catching a Bounce Land is great, but you might just, like, still die the next turn. (laughs) Right, yeah. Molten Rain is, uh... Against Amulet, specifically, it's one of those weird things where it's only good against some of their draws. Right. And it's not good against their best draws. Yeah. So that's an awkward spot to be in. And it is not good when they have a Sakura Tribe Scout in play. Yes. So. Yeah. Because it's just not not going to resolve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it does give you the, you know, you're running all these surgicals, so it gives you the kill a Tron land surgical line, mm-hmm. um, which is fine, but... I think that but one just, matchup isn't enough just to... Blood moon, just Blood Moon, Tron. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not trying to Blood Moon them our, out of the game. Our deck is fast enough right. that Blood Moon will buy enough, so, enough time. Right, and, and so in his article he was writing, well, by playing turn three Blood Moon, you're just walking into their turn three Oblivion Stone. But they don't activate it until turn five, and then, like, when you're Phoenix, you want them to be spending time activating Oblivion Stone. Right. Because then you just get to Phoenix them again the next turn. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Oblivion Stone is definitely not what it needs to be against this deck specifically. Right. 
Yeah. Right. And and like you got to use it like during combat, and if you don't also have the relic, it's just not really getting you anywhere. So I I think the Blood Moon plan is is fine. Um, may not be fine a couple of weeks from now when everybody is like, okay, there's a Blood Moon deck at the top of the format. Let's make sure to not get Blood Moon. But right. it's still good against the decks that it's good against. Uh, Dragon's Claw on the sideboard, I think, is really important because beating Burn is very hard. I think you want to make sure to show up with an understanding of how to beat the prison decks, whatever deck you're playing, because I think those decks are really good right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the War of Prison deck won... The modern classic. Did. Dom Harvey. In the uh, hands of Dom. Yep. Yeah. Uh, who has continuously proven himself to be very efficient with just anything in modern. Just, yeah. <laughs> just a master yeah. of many different styles of deck. Yeah. I think he actually worked on this deck with Lee. Yeah. Because this is very close to a Lee McLeod deck. Uh, and I actually played through a couple of leagues with it last night. Mm-hmm. Blue, black, just pure Demir were... No Faithless Lootings, no Ancient Stirrings. Kind of felt the loss of like a cantripping effect a little bit while I was playing it. But overall, just very powerful, very good at getting Bridge out, very good at protecting Bridge with the Welding Jars. Um, and this this style specifically is like pretty heavy on the Thopter Sword combo. Yeah. Um, the first game I played, I just kept a hand that was like Mox Opal, Zero Mana Artifact, Thopter Foundry, Sword of the Meek. And just yeah. that was it. And I just right. made Thopters all game, which is a very cool angle because one of the principal ways to attack this deck is putting one Shatterstorm in your sideboard. And if you can just keep a clock in your deck and kill them after you've so- soft locked them, right. then you can avoid those like one card answers to the deck. Yeah. 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 But also kind of important to note that we were talking about how this these prison decks are very beatable. Yes. And it doesn't really take much to decide to beat them. And Shatterstorm is just easily one of the best options you have because if it resolves, <laughs> if yeah. you draw it, you, it, you just win. Yeah. Yep. If you draw it and can cast it, you, it's pretty over and some people were throwing around the idea of like, oh, do we play like negates or whatever in our prison deck now to be able to beat that card like post board mm-hmm. um and that feels pretty bad because one of your plans is Bottle Cloister and the gate does right. not work out well <laughs> with that card. So, yeah, it's, you know, it is beatable, but I think for at least right now, it's very powerful. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing against it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like the one Shatterstorm in the sideboard, especially in a Cantropy deck, is like a pretty powerful option. I think I lean more towards Shattering Spree just because it's a card that you can bring in against other decks and... Uh, you can target the same artifact multiple times with it to get around Welding Jar. Yeah. Uh, it beats Chalice because the copies don't get countered by Chalice. Yeah. Um, and you can also, like, Snapcaster Mage it back when that's pretty hard to do with, with Shatterstorm a lot of the time. Um, until you get into the ultra late game where this deck is trying to take you anyways, so I guess that's... Yeah. And you generally don't need to Snapcaster Mage back a Shatterstorm. <laughs> Typically, the first one the first one is going to do it. But... but, but like, the Sussurus builds of the prison deck kill you by Ipnurivulating you to death. Yes. Um, they also sometimes, they have, like, Tormod scripts and stuff, so it can be very hard to Snapcaster a thing. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the ways that you beat this deck is providing a bunch of different things that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So if my deck has a Shatterstorm in it, and then the ability to cast it back from, snap it back from the graveyard if they mill it, and it has two different planeswalkers that they need to pithing needle, and it has creatures so that they have to have a bridge in play and protect it. Yeah. That can overwhelm their ability to deal with all of the stuff right. that you're presenting. Yeah. 
And so deck is definitely beatable and cannot ever beat blue-white control. <laughs> right, yeah. Speaking of decks that have a lot of different ways of winning the game, um, Cryptic Command is pretty good. Cryptic Command is really good against this deck. You can't Welding Jar Cryptic Command. Nope. And Detention Sphere also just beats oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> right, anything that exiles is pretty bad this for your no bueno. Welding Jar dot deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lee and I were trying to... F- we were having a little disagreement over whether Tron was a tougher matchup or blue-white. Specifically, we were trying to figure out, like, what's the worst matchup for the deck. And then we played the deck against Waste Not Combo, which is actually... <laughs> oh. I think 0% for, for yeah. Artifact for those For those unaware about Waste Not Combo, <laughs> you want to go over some of the cards in that deck Ooh, real quick? So there is a... Uh, so oh, there's, there's, there's Waste Knot. So Waste Knot. So the community design card that, like, gives you a thing each time an opponent discards a card. It gives you, like, two black mana if they discard a land, a card if they discard a non-land, non-creature, and, like, a zombie if they discard a creature or something like that. Yep. So this this deck has, I think it's Wistful Thinking, two and a blue. Target player draws two cards and discards four. And it's got Burning Inquiries, so you can't even Witchbane Orb their Wistful Thinking. Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely lost to this deck when we played <laughs> against it. Also, it was a Phoenix deck, and they Burning Inquiried, like, three times and then put three Phoenixes into play against us. Yeah. If you didn't... Uh, what's the other card that that deck plays? Um, I think one of them is just an enchantment that says whenever your opponent discards a card, they, like, lose two life or Liliana's something. Liliana's Curse or something That's like what that. I've seen yeah. before. It's I, Megrim I, for two mana for old Phoenix school might players. have replaced that, but I don't know. They had that, too. Okay. Yep. But they also just happened to get Phoenixes. I just love well. it when you cast, like, a bunch of Burning Inquiries and it's just lethal. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you're dead. It was really lethal. Yeah. Other goofy decks we tried. Speaking of decks with Phoenix in them, okay, we tried that Phoenix Jeskai Ascendancy deck. You were there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, don't think that deck has legs, even though we won some matches with it. But it's very sweet. It's what are we three to the league or something? We three to the league. Yeah, it was a Jeskai Ascendancy deck that happened to have Phoenixes. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the big takeaways from trying that deck out is Phoenixes are not capable in modern of being the only threat in your deck you just can't threaten lethal with just phoenixes in your deck yeah and so you know the jeskai ascendancies like won a fair number of games because people weren't ready for them right but the phoenixes weren't adding together with anything because we didn't have thing in the ice we didn't have other threats the damage that they were doing you could do 15 damage with a phoenix but then you can't finish the game off and what do you what did you accomplish right yeah, I mean, you know, there are some draws where the Phoenixes get out early and, and kill your opponent, but generally, the, you need the rest of your draws to also work out. And the Ascendancy deck's rest of the draws was Ascendancy combo, right. which was kind of cute. Yeah, and I think we won but almost every game that we won just by Ascendancy comboing our opponent, right? So, uh, well, there was that one weird game against Burn where we... Oh, right, we stole it. We stole it because... Uh, <laughs> Our deck had two fairy conclaves in it, which were terrible. Oh my god. It's the worst card in modern. Yeah, but we were able to steal a game because our opponent put themselves really low to idle on triggers, and then we were able to attack with like a young pyromancer, a token, and a fairy conclave for lethal <laughs> after doing no other damage. <laughs> It was great. It, it was, was great. It was pretty good. Yeah. Because we couldn't cast spells. They had an idol on in play. Well, yeah, but we could certainly activate our man lands. <laughs> yeah. But Arclight Phoenix is better backed up by other damage-based threats than yep. by an alternate win condition. Yes. Is, is one of the big takeaways we had from that deck. Um, in Legacy, Phoenix can be your only threat, though. 
as, yeah. as we've learned. Well, as long as you're buried alive it. Yes. You know, then buried alive is your only threat. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, hold on. Oh, uh-oh. I don't know if you've seen this deck. We're transitioning the conversation to okay. Legacy, by the way. All right. Now we're talking about Legacy. I don't know if you've seen from the classic Grixis Phoenix, Doug McKay, but then you click on it. And it's a storm deck. I'm so excited about Ooh, this. have you not seen this? I have not. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so, I'm, well, first of all, I'm so happy that he has three Arclight Phoenixes in, in his Buried Alive deck. I know because, you were on that, yeah. Yeah, any any more than three Arclight Phoenix in your Buried Alive deck is too many, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I, and I've always kind of compared it to Storm. I always kind of considered that it was trying to do what Storm was doing, but... A little worse mm-hmm. because your three phoenixes don't just end the game immediately. It, it does end the game immediately in some matchups. Yeah, but especially if you do it early enough. If yeah. you pull it off turn one, even in legacy, you, you should win. You should win. It, it's running the rituals already. You kind of have to, you know, in order to facilitate your buried alive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm you know I'm looking at it right now, and it just looks like a pretty generic. Yeah, we cut a little stormless. bit of, of the cantripping. Mm-hmm. And I guess probably like a land um, in order to fit Buried Alive and three Arclight Phoenix into the Storm deck. So it's certainly going to be a little bit less consistent mm-hmm. at Storming, but it gives us totally alternate thing. One of the things that I'm not super in love with is in Legacy when you board against Storm, a lot of times you're just kind of like priced into bringing in some of the surgicals that are in your sideboard anyways. Yeah. Uh, even though they're not great in the matchup. Yeah. But they're better than your, like, swords to plowshares. Right, right. Just like a might as well get these in because these fatal pushes aren't really doing much either. Right. Like, no. maybe... Like, you honestly or... surgical brainstorm more than you surgical <laughs> anything else against Storm. Right. But, uh, like, if they're on Phoenix, then all of a sudden your surgicals become pretty good. I don't know. Like, this deck is very sweet. Um. Yeah, I, you know... I'm always a fan of, like, uh, multiple combo decks really just jammed together. You know, I've, I've played uh, Gorio's Vengeance and Death Shadow and... Uh, what was the other combo? Oh, Vengevine. It was a Vengevine deck, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I threw all those in the same deck, so, you know, this this appeals to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, by force? Three by force in the side. Yeah, but remind me what it does. Oh, it's destroy X target artifacts. It's a powerful vintage card against shops, but uh, uh, I have not seen it as much in Legacy because there's a lot of lot of other options, and you don't necessarily need to get around you know chalices and stuff as much. But it's a really like that's that's one of the main reasons that this card is good is because it gets around chalices and against shops in vintage it gets around. Like Trinisphere because you can just make it cost yeah. three mana and get three I will mana destroy worth a spell out of it. Things, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's that is interesting to have three in the board of this deck. But I kind of I kind of like it because in my experience playing Storm in Legacy, you often find yourself up against the wall against multiple artifact hate cards, mm-hmm. and generally the answer to that has been Hercules. But that's tough because you have to sculpt a turn sequence where you yeah and set Hercules untap kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be difficult sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. So looking at the open results, we had some pretty sweet, we, we had some, you know, number one, the, the folks in the top eight, this is a solid top eight, Austin Collins, David Long, Harlan Fear, like, yeah, 
Uh, Aiden Breyer, yep. you know, definitely some 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 people that I'm always rooting for up mm-hmm. in the top eight here. So that's always fun. Um, and the other thing that really stood out to me about this top eight was uh, two Is It Delver decks. Yeah, kind of a you know, not, I, I, it's hard to call it a new archetype, but it feels like it feels like fresh it's, cards. It's been an also ran for a while. Yeah, you know, like back it existed when Deathrite Shaman was around. Yeah, and it was the non Deathrite Shaman quote-unquote Delver deck, but it's right. a very different Delver deck. You, your disruption is just the couple of counter spells, just dazes and forces, yep. and then you have a ton of burn spells. Right. Um, yeah, these is it Delver decks are... It's introducing the new threat, uh, Terramander, mm-hmm. and I think utilizing it really well. Yeah, um, this may be the best format for Terramander. Three of in Austin's list and a four of in, in Rich's list, like, that's... That's a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Terramander is really strong in Legacy. It feels like a replacement for Gurmag Angler mm-hmm. um, in a lot of contexts where, you know, y- you're playing Legacy and you're playing a bunch of cantrips, so you are going to fill up the graveyard very quickly. You know, not like turbo quickly, but like, you know, it's you're going to get to the point where you just have a ton of spells right. in your graveyard. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I like Terramander a lot. I think that it it does a really good job uh, and fills the role that these blue-red decks are kind of looking for. And uh, Rich's list, the winning list, had three light up the stage as well. So look at all these standard legal cards in this legacy deck. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I, I think that's awesome. A little awkward with Force of Will. Yeah, light up the stage, I, I'll i be honest, I'm not sold mm-hmm. that light up the stage is worth a slot in these is it decks. Um I, I, mean, just think can, it, I guess you can play, pay the alternate cost of the Force of Will, but obviously they don't need to walk into your exiled Force right. of Will. Yeah, but, you know, you're playing a Delver deck, so sometimes all you really need to do is just have that one turn of sure. protection sure. Um, and before you kill them with your 5-5 Terramander or whatever. So Yep. Um, you know, I kind of dig it, um, and I love Vapor Snag. Whenever when I saw a vapor snag in these lists, I think uh, both Austin and Rich were playing one copy each in a deck full of merit lages. Uh, vapor snag seems pretty strong. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and we've seen the the merit lage decks. Turbo Depths has made a little bit of a resurgence lately. Big part of that is Miracles not being really the premier deck of the format anymore. Yeah. Because that's such a tough matchup for for merit lage to win. Um, but yeah, we definitely see a healthy amount of depths around, and so we see a lot of like echoing truths inside boards of not storm decks and and things like that. And I think that that just shows how much how much respect people are having for these depth decks right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some people were talking about how at one point, maybe a couple of months ago, uh, a lot of people were preaching that turbo depths was just, you know, the new hotness in Legacy, and mm-hmm. they thought that it was just crushing everything. Um, and I think that, you know, Legacy is adapted to that pretty well, yep. but Turbo Depths is definitely still one of the strongest, I, you know, it's definitely a Tier 1 deck in my mind. And the build that it's hit on now is a very, like, pretty yeah, interesting Yeah, Turbo's one. not a very good word to use, I don't think, for it right now. It's more like... Just depths. You just call it depths. And right. What you're like about. Dark Confidant is not a turbo card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it definitely allows you to go off, mm-hmm. get resources back, go off again. After right. Yeah, yeah. Being able to go off multiple times is kind of the whole plan of this deck, it feels like. Yeah. Where like, okay, we can beat a sorts of plowshares just because we'll just do this twice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So. Yep. Yep. Definitely. 
Another thing that sort of stood out was the lack of colors in the top eight. Yeah. Uh, one three-color deck, one Grixis control deck, and then, you know, and, and this goes a lot of the way down the list. Uh, we've got it Delver, Azorius Delver, Golgari Depths. You know, all, all of these decks are Demir Deshadow. All of these are getting Ravnica Descriptors. They're, mm-hmm. they're all guilds. They're two-color decks. That seems yeah. to be a defining part of Legacy right now. Yeah. Well, you know, two pretty prominent cards right now, Blood Moon and Back to Basics. Mm-hmm. The Is It Delver decks feel really, really strong against Blood Moon because they can just turn one Fetch Island. Yep. And Blood Moon now is totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The only thing that you might not be able to cast there are these t- two true name nemesis. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Turn. Uh, and I love, you know, I love that in, out of these decks. It's just like, all right, fetch your island and mm-hmm. then you're all set. And and that just eliminates so many angles that people are trying to take on the format. Yep. Um, blue, red, Delver, uh, black, green, Depths, black, red, Reanimator, mm-hmm. uh, blue, white, Delver. Yeah, people, people are really, you know, understanding that basic lands are just the best yeah. lands in Magic. All, all of these decks get to run a healthy, you know, three basic lands, which yeah. is... And and be fine, totally fine, like, actively fetching them out all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that's really the key. Like, if you really wanted to, you could put an island in Grixis Delver. But you just would never be able to put it into play and be able to cast yeah. your spells. Like, yeah. Grixis Delver, to me, has kind of always felt like this weird two-color deck where the colors are black and red mm-hmm. and and you're always needing blue yeah. blue is just like the the constant for that deck it's right just like but you know when you're fetching you gotta be like all right i gotta make sure that i, I gotta have get my, my blue black land and, right right my blue black land and my my blue red land yeah like, that's what <laughs> right. you need right yeah, yeah and that's always felt pretty awkward especially in a format full of oh the other card that is obvious wasteland, oh, wasteland. <laughs> yes you know uh, wasteland even even more obvious than um, these enchantments that we're talking about. Uh, you just like having basics out is great in Legacy, right? And also, not that this matters if you're playing Legacy anyways, but let's look at the difference between you know like this. Is it Delver deck? Austin Collins's Is it Delver deck? The dual lands that it has to play are two volcanic islands. Yeah, so that keeps the cost of the deck at two thousand dollars. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> expensive. Right. But, you know, that's like two modern decks or something. Right. That's like within the realm of possibility. Yeah. We scroll down the list and we see Brandon Dalloway's Grixis Delver deck. This deck has three UCs and four Volcanic Islands. That's five it's, grand. It's yeah. just an easy $5,000 deck. Right. Like, that's that's just harder to put together. Right. I I definitely like that Legacy is moving in this direction for multiple reasons. And yeah. that's that's definitely one of them. Yep. I mean, still, like, kill the reserve list, but... Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, silly things of Magic's past that are still affecting us today is... Yeah. Silly. So. So, we're seeing, you know, not a ton of Phoenix decks in this format, but, you know, like, this Grixis Phoenix deck does exist. That's, like, pretty focused around just spells, Phoenix, Buried Alive. Um, see it a little bit. It It's... You know, a close relative of the Is It Phoenix decks of modern. Um, yeah. Just rather than using Faithless Looting, it's it's doing a Buried Alive combo-y kind of thing. Right. Um, but super spell-heavy, you know, this list is running Young Pyromancer and then Dark Confidant as a reload mechanism again. So 
I guess be ready for for bobs in this format. Dark Confidant seems to be picking up in Legacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was seeing, you know, Tan and Grace played him, I think, out of his sideboard in uh, Grixis Delver. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, he's played, he knows Grixis Delver very well. And he's played a lot of Legacy with that deck. And so to see him transition over into having Dark Confidants as as a sideboard option seems uh, pretty telling that that card is going to be important in Legacy right now. Yeah. And I think a, a, another big reason why that's happening is because people recognize that the modern, the 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 Legacy format has slowed down pretty mm-hmm. significantly. It feels like all of the games are going several turns. It's not, it's not this like super blitzy format that we kind of, you know, uh, some people I'm sure believe that, oh, it's Legacy, you can just die on turn one. But that's just not close to being true right now. It, yeah. does, it doesn't feel like. This Phoenix deck doesn't even run Force of Will in it. Mm-hmm. You know, its disruption is Thoughtseize and Cabal Therapies, which are really sweet in this, like, young Pyromancer Arclight Phoenix. You know, you can sacrifice a Phoenix, cast two more spells, get your Phoenixes right back because uh, the Cabal Therapy counts. Like, like that's really cute. Yeah, I love it. Um, um, yeah, and the, you know, the heavy discard decks, I'm... I'm a pretty big fan of mm-hmm. just generally as like you know this feels like a very strong disruptive element for these decks to have so yeah um yeah yeah and i wonder looking back to our discussion of what cards would help modern if they got ported in via modern horizons i think Flusterstorm is like pretty high on the list there mm-hmm. um yeah yeah that could definitely be a good one interactive piece sometimes used to defend degenerate stuff against interaction but more often at least in legacy more often used against some degenerate decks especially storm or just generally like a powerful card yeah i i think foster storms uh you know it's kind of the spell pierce that you need sometimes you know (laughs) right the spell pierce that actually works (laughs) yeah yeah it's like oh sometimes late game this card is just force of will or something it can't be countered by force of will like yeah no it's very good so um, I don't know how well it translates into modern because one of the best things that Flusterstorm has going for it is that it just wins the counter wars. Mm-hmm. And those counter wars don't exist true in modern like they do in Legacy. Right. But Lack of free counters makes it makes fundamentally different stacks from you get. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just really interested in seeing how, like, what the philosophy of the Modern Horizons set is going to be how how they're trying to adapt the format be really interesting yeah. all right so for our patreon question of the week lee asks what does your ideal modern format look like how do you want decks to look like and for games to play out um and i i appreciate this question because it really dovetails nicely with just that concept of like what is modern horizons going to be doing here um and i just i really want to reiterate my concern that I'm not sure that I have an ideal modern format at this time. I I don't enjoy these like uh, drag race games where we, you know, let's just like torture this metaphor, or, like like mix these metaphors up where we are ships <laughs> passing in the night. Yeah. Uh, I you know the games are not super fun to me when that's what's going on. Um, side note, like I don't think Phoenix is actually like really part of this problem because Phoenix is one of the more interactive. It's assertive and it has its own game plan, but it interacts on a lot of angles. Um, so I don't think it's like that as big a part of this problem as a deck like Dredge, which just doesn't really want to interact at all. Yeah. Is um, 
But yeah, I I am having trouble picturing a modern format that includes the cards that modern currently has that turns into a format that I like to play. And you don't want to go too far in either direction. You know, we don't want to go into a mental misstep format where we're just trading cards for cards constantly. Mm-hmm. And then just whatever is left is what we try to win the game with. We don't want to be in a format where everybody's trying to go off turn two or turn three and just not just ignoring opponents' cards completely. And I'm probably running out of ways to describe what I want because I'm really not a game designer. And I don't <laughs> really know how to sit down and say, like, this is the format we want to build. Yeah, yeah. But you do want a certain amount of interaction, mm-hmm. and you want you want a certain amount of license to do cool stuff. Yeah, I think is really important. Yeah, um, and this is one of the things where like legacy kind of fails for me. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful format. There is a f- quite a bit of interaction, but most cool stuff is not pull offable. Yeah, your cards have to cost one mana or less in Legacy, yeah. almost entirely. Right. Um, anything that costs three has to be just a, a boss card. It has to be Monastery Mentor. Like it has true to, name Nemesis. True name <laughs> yeah. Nemesis. Yeah, exactly. Blood Moon. Um, and that that has become because I mean because the the one mana cards and stuff are so efficient and you can get such a critical mass of them that are doing powerful things together um, and also just because the interaction is so strong that you have so few resources you have to be able to know that you can cast your spells and like four and five mana spells you just don't have the resources especially in a wasteland format to do that sort of thing yeah doing cool stuff you know like this Phoenix thing is like a cool thing right but that's a very limited you don't get to adjust that game plan very much. Right. And I don't know exactly what I am picturing by got to be able to do cool stuff, but it does involve being able to look at more than the 50 cards that have proven themselves to be good in the format Mm -hmm. and saying, I think I can make something work here. I would never try to brew a deck in Legacy, Right now, I'm not particularly interested in trying to brew a deck in Modern. New cards don't really get my my gears turning because I just don't think they can compete with the stuff that exists. I would love a Modern format that I can see new cards and think, all right, what can we do with this? Yeah. And it might just be that the format's too big for that to happen anymore. Maybe. I put some thought into it, and I think that I... You know, I definitely like where the metaphors have gone a little bit, but mm-hmm. as these ships pass into the night, yeah. I want them to be able to fire cannons. To broadside each other. Each other. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, okay, so now we're getting a little more dynamic. So I, I like the proactivity of modern, mm-hmm. and I think that it's kind of good that it facilitates that, but I want each of those decks to have, you know, things that do something within that proactivity that can interrupt or disrupt what the opponent is trying to do at the same time yeah so you know whenever lightning bolt is really strong in modern that typically is like the kind of like one of those cannon cards that's like okay this could be proactive and go to the dome but Mm -hmm. i can also use it to you know kill your devoted druid or whatever yeah and that that adds in this interactive layer or whatever Mm -hmm. so i would love to see modern turn into a format that's you know uh, people are doing their thing, 
and, you know, pushing to make it, you know, work well and quickly. But then also everybody kind of has access to things that they can throw at their opponent every once in a while to kind of shake it up a little bit. And, you know, that means that, you know, play skill becomes really important because, like, the timing of all those things, like when to, you know, maybe I need to hold back and set up this and make sure I can interact here Mm -hmm. kind of deal. And I've been thinking about it, and I think one of the cards that I would like to see in modern that would make a huge impact would be a card like Days. Okay. Days isn't, it's not, you know, it's something that people can play around. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the end of the world when you daze something, typically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it, you know, it's one of those cards that could potentially like slow it down a couple of turns. People need to be aware of it and think about it and play around it. And that adds to like the skill level of the format. I'm okay with days. And bouncing that land is a bigger cost in modern. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So so that's kind of something like I that I would like to see in, in a format like modern. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like the metaphor of ships passing, but maybe in broad daylight where they can shoot cannons at each yeah. other. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm into that. Yeah. And and you know what? Like, I, I probably am not giving Legacy enough credit when I, especially for my, like, do cool things argument. Like, you know, the Delver decks are not really doing cool things. Sure. Putting equipment on a uh, True Name Nemesis doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> but there are certainly decks that are doing cool things. Like the existence, you know, making a 2020 indestructible is a, a pretty cool thing. And you yeah. are interacting along the way because you're a Thoughtseize deck. Sure. And uh, the reanimator decks, you know, putting a Gristlebrand into play really early is pretty sweet. The The cool things you can do are pretty constricted by the requirements of the knockout punches in the format. Yeah. But, you know... Legacy has some good ideas in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a format that necessitates force of will is not the best. Right. I think a format that is helped by days, I agree, is a... That, that's a fine place to be. I, I think Days is a, a really nicely designed card overall and yeah. and would be pretty healthy. And Yeah, and I, I definitely wouldn't mind it in, in, uh, in Modern. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, bigger cost because generally, you know, you have to spend mana on more stuff mm. and you want your land drops. Um, and also, you know, you might be picking up Shocklands and that's a cost. True, true. Um, although Days would be incredible in Grixis Shadow. Shadow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Big yikes. But, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't hate when Death Shadow is one of the better decks in the format. Yeah. You know, I think that's pretty healthy. Yeah. Uh, I would like to get to a point where Death Shadow is one of the better decks in the format, and it's incorrect for it to run Teamer Battle Rage. I think that's a point where if we Ooh, hit it, I'd okay. be pretty happy with where the format is at. Yeah. Um, I don't like that my Jun deck has to run a Lava Axe in it to, to sure. be viable. You right. know? Yeah. I hear you. Well, cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's then that's going to be pretty much it for us. Yep. Just uh, to uh, to acknowledge dubs, I don't think modern is great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we sometimes say that offhandedly. I, I think it has some pretty serious problems right now, and we're hoping that some of this stuff will fix it. Mm-hmm. We will see what happens. Um, but we'll see what happens at regionals. Still excited to play, and then after that. I'm going to be wanting to talk a whole bunch of standard because I'm just going to be prepping for the standard seat at Cincinnati and also nice. trying to make sure to grind myself to top 1,000 mythic. So, um, well, good. That's that's the goal here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to be having to think about standard immediately after regionals because 
that's when I have scheduled my RPTQ that's online. Oh, so, right. Okay. Literally, I forgot those day. are still going on. <laughs> yeah. Good lord. That's like a month-long RPTQ season. <laughs> yeah, I have an RPTQ this, uh, on the 10th of March for... MC London. I never know what letters to say anymore. Uh, yes. <laughs> MC London. <laughs> yeah. The worst rapper of all. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, definitely. We're going to be excited to get started on that, especially because we have a little bit of a cheat sheet. Uh, now, you know, Kat was working with yeah. Jerry and, yep. and they came up with like a pretty solid matchup profile spreadsheet from the from mythic championship cleveland mm-hmm. um and i think that you know we're going to talk a lot about that when we start talking about standard next week and i think that's going to be a good kickoff yeah. to our standard testing yeah yeah i'm very excited yeah Cool. Awesome. Uh, Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Really appreciate it. If you want to find us online, you can find our website at mtggrindcast.com, where we have links to our Patreon, links to Collins' coaching services. Uh, If you want to just go straight to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, you could also become a patron there. That would be awesome. We would really appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening, and have a great week. Peace. Thank you.